Hello, everyone, and welcome to this second episode of our ASEAN Data Protection Update. My name is Cedric Lindemann, and I'm leading the data and technology practice in our Singapore office. Today, we'll be giving you an update about what's been going on in Singapore. And for that, I am joined by two of my colleagues from the Singapore office, Yuja Ang and Jessica Dai. Welcome, Yuja, and welcome, Jess. Now, starting with you, Yuja, in the previous episode, we mentioned that the PDPC, the Singaporean Data Protection um, Commissioner, is getting new powers to enforce the PDPA. There has been talk of fines being increased to 10% of a company's turnover in certain circumstances. There's also something called the voluntary undertakings. How do you see the PDPC using its powers going forward? Will will they be coming up on hard, uh, coming down hard, or will they more take a pragmatic approach? Thanks, Cedric. So in the previous podcast, we discussed the amendments to the provisions relating to financial penalties under the PDPA, and that took effect on the 1st of October 2022. And under the PDPA, the Personal Data Protection Commission may, if it is satisfied that an organisation has intentionally or negligently contravened certain provisions, impose a financial penalty. So just as a recap, previously the financial penalty cap was $1 million. However, for contraventions on or after 1st of October 2022, the maximum penalty is the high of $1 million, or if an organisation whose annual turnover in Singapore exceeds $10 million, it's 10% of the annual turnover in Singapore of that organization. This penalty framework is actually similar to that in other legislation, including the Competition Act and the Telecommunications Act. And in the second reading of the bill, it was also emphasized that the PDPC will ensure that financial penalties imposed are proportionate to the severity of the data breach. And to date, the highest financial penalty imposed is $750,000, and this is in relation to one of the worst personal data breaches in Singapore's history. In 2019, a financial penalty of $250,000 and $750,000 was imposed on Singapore Health Services and Integrated Health Information Systems, respectively for the failure to make reasonable security arrangements to protect personal data of individuals. In this incident, the personal data of over 1.5 million individuals and records of nearly 160,000 patients were disclosed in a cyber attack. And apart from the Singh Health case, there's only one other case where the financial penalty imposed was more than $100,000. And most recently, a financial penalty of 72000 was imposed on Redmart, an online platform selling groceries to consumers, for failing to put in place reasonable security arrangements to protect the personal data in its possession or under its control. The Commission was of the view that, given the high volume of personal data contained in the affected database, and this was approximately 890,000 individuals that were affected, and the Commission felt that it was incumbent on the organisation to implement policies and practices that were commensurate with the organization's higher-level security needs to discharge its obligation under the PDPA. As can be seen, the financial penalties imposed so far by the Commission are on the lower end of the prescribed maximum amount. 
Given the recent amendments to the PDPA, it remains to be seen if financial penalties will cross the $10 million mark. In determining the amount of financial penalty to be imposed, the Commission will consider, amongst others, the number of affected individuals, categories of affected personal data, and duration of the incident. And the organization's overall compliance with the PDPA will also be taken into account. Cedric, you mentioned that a voluntary undertaking scheme was introduced. So earlier in 2020, a statutory scheme under which the PDPC may, in lieu of a full investigation, accept written voluntary undertakings from organizations to remedy bridges and prevent their recurrence was introduced. For example, such undertakings may be accepted when organizations with effective monitoring and breach management systems notify the PDPC of a data breach and undertake in writing to implement their breach management plan. Several jurisdictions, such as Australia, Canada and the UK, accept voluntary undertakings as part of their enforcement regimes as well. And it was clarified in Parliament in Singapore that the Commission will exercise this option only if it assesses that this will achieve an outcome similar or superior to a full investigation. For transparency, decisions on investigations into PDPA breaches by organisations and voluntary undertakings provided by organisations to the PDPC are published on the PDPC's website. To date, there have been 23 cases, including those involving financial institutions. The root cause of data breaches is often the lack of basic data protection practices and cybersecurity measures. And some examples include cyber incidents and IT-related errors, such as coding issues, configuration issues, malware and phishing-related incidents, and inadequate security practices. Given the focus on strengthening data protection processes, we have seen an increasing number of companies conducting a review of their internal data protection policies and processes, as well as customer-facing data protection notices and terms and conditions in the past year, and this is to ensure compliance with the PDPA. And just touching briefly on uh, data breaches, to further strengthen organizations' accountability, a system for mandatory notification to the Commission when a data breach occurs was introduced. And under the PDPA, a data breach is a notifiable breach if it results in, or is likely to result in, significant harm to an individual, or is, or is likely to be, of a significant scale. And a breach is deemed to result in significant harm to an individual if the data breach is in relation to any prescribed personal data of class of personal data relating to the individual, or in other prescribed circumstances under the PDPA. On the other hand, Data breach is deemed to be of significant scale if it affects more than 500 individuals. And this places the onus on organizations to assess the scale and impact of personal data breaches and ensures that they are duly accountable to individuals for the personal data in their care. Since the introduction of the data breach notification regime, more organizations are focusing on preparing for and managing data breaches by putting in place a data breach management plan internally. Having in place a robust data breach management plan will help organizations to manage and respond to data breaches more effectively and also comply with their obligations under the PDPA. All right. Thank you very much, Yuja, for that. And that brings us to the next topic, actually, Jess. 
And that is the Data Protection Commission has also released guidelines on personal data protection in combination with blockchain design. Now, blockchain is, is of course, a hot topic. And the compatibility of, of the technology with data protection requirements has often been discussed. Now, what is the, the approach the PDPC is, is taking on this? So, as you say, as businesses across the world are starting to deploy distributed ledger technologies such as blockchain, some of these blockchain networks have started storing personal data. It's with that backdrop that the Commission has published a guide on personal data protection considerations for blockchain design to provide businesses with guidance on how they can comply with the PDPA. Blockchain networks differ from conventional databases in two ways. Firstly, data is stored in a decentralized fashion. In a blockchain network, copies of the ledger are hosted on multiple nodes in the network, which often exist across different jurisdictions. Secondly, stored data is tamper-resistant. The blockchain is designed to be append-only, meaning that records that have been committed on the chain cannot be edited or deleted. Blockchain is therefore immutable. When personal data is written on a blockchain, these decentralized and tamper-resistant attributes raise issues when complying with the obligations under the PDPA, as you mentioned, Cedric. So a few examples in Singapore are that the PDPA has a transfer limitation obligation, which requires personal data transferred overseas to be protected to a standard comparable to the PDPA. So if a business commits personal data to a blockchain with nodes spanning multiple jurisdictions, it will have to ensure that these jurisdictions have comparable protections to comply with the PDPA. The immutable nature of data committed on the blockchain also give rise to challenges with respect to the retention limitation obligation under the PDPA. Generally speaking, if a business has fulfilled its purpose of processing personal data, the business should dispose of that data. However, as data is committed on-chain is immutable, it cannot be erased or modified. The only way for businesses to dispose of the data is for it to be rendered indecipherable by anyone that can access that data, for example, by disposal of the decryption key. The PDPA also grants data subjects various rights, such as the right to access and correct their data. However, some of these rights may be difficult or even impossible to exercise on a blockchain, especially if it's immutable, as we just discussed. So any possible solutions or approaches to address some of the tensions between the PDPA and blockchain, including by using hybrid or federated blockchain models, always involve some sort of trade-off or limitation to blockchain, such as compromising the efficiency or scalability of the blockchain or just reducing its trust and transparency. Thanks for that background, Jess. Now, what would that mean from a practical perspective and, and for businesses using blockchain technologies to process personal data? Yeah, absolutely. So if you're a business using blockchain technologies, you should ensure that you're adopting a solid privacy by design and privacy by default approach from the outset so that your processing is in compliance with the PDPA as well as any other applicable data protection laws as far as possible. And that way you'll look to address the issues I just outlined now. It's also worth noting that on a practical level, 
due to the very nature of how blockchain works, enforcement of the PDPA for non-compliance is quite difficult. A number of the commission's powers may be limited or even ineffective on a blockchain, especially if a blockchain is autonomous, self-regulating and resistant to external intervention. There may be no clear or legitimate authority or jurisdiction to oversee or regulate that data processing and then impose sanctions. As you mentioned, the use of blockchain technologies is a hot topic and it's increasing significantly in Singapore. The Asia-Pacific region is currently one of the fastest growing markets for blockchain in the world. And the Commission, as well as other data protection authorities around the world, will really need to develop regulation and enforcement methodologies that effectively protect the rights of data subjects. The Commission's Guide on Personal Data Protection Considerations for Blockchain Design goes some way to highlight the concerns we mentioned, but it's unlikely to resolve all of the tensions that many businesses that utilise blockchain technologies have when trying to comply with PDPA. Thanks a lot, Jess. Very interesting. And that brings us to, to the last question. Another topic discussed very often in Southeast Asia is data localization. The main examples are India, Indonesia, which, which have quite strict delocalization requirements. Now, Singapore as a small economy seems to choose for a different approach for free flow of data as part of WTO and other ASEAN initiatives. What are the steps that Singapore is taking to ensure the free flow of data or to promote the free flow of data, whilst at the same time, of course, also attaching value to privacy considerations? Whilst there is a, some movement towards data localization in Asia, as you say, in India and Indonesia, but also in, in China and Vietnam, Singapore's PDPA doesn't actually explicitly restrict or mandate data localization at all. Singapore really values data as an economic asset, and data mobility allows businesses in Singapore to realize that value. Singapore has taken a number of steps to promote data mobility, including by agreeing to four different digital economy agreements with Chile, New Zealand, Australia, the UK, and most recently, South Korea. Under these agreements, the parties have agreed to allow data to flow freely across borders and prohibit the localization of data, except for certain legitimate purposes, such as personal data protection. Within the financial sector as well, Singapore and the US have also issued a joint statement on data connectivity that opposes data localization in the sector. Singapore has been a regional leader on this front too, initiating the ASEAN data management framework and the ASEAN model contractual clauses. Despite this, of course, the Singapore PDPA does impose restrictions on the transfer of personal data overseas to ensure that that data is protected by comparable standards. But Singapore really does generally look to balance the free flow of data with the necessary privacy safeguards. All right, that was all very interesting. And thank you, Jess and Yuja, for joining me here today. And thank you, everyone, for listening in. As I mentioned, this is a series on the data protection developments in the ASEAN region. So do look out for the next episodes, and I look forward to you joining us next time. If in the meantime there's any questions, of course, do feel free to reach out to any one of us through the contact details on the website. Thank you. Mm-hmm.